Good evening. Hope all of you are doing well. Today we're learning Maseches uh, Yevamos, Daflamid Zion. And we're starting at the two dots about a quarter of the way down. Um, sorry, just got to readjust the screen here. There you go. Uh, we're starting on Lamid Zion, Amid Aleph, about a quarter of the way down at the words Ben, uh, at the words Suffolk Ben, Te I can't even get the first word out. Okay? Not even one. <laughs> it's a bad start to Daviyom for tonight. It's how I feel. And it's coming out. Okay. So we had said in our Mishnah that there was a case scenario where a Yavam, a potential Yavam, uh, he uh, had married his brother's wife while she was pregnant, right after he had died, right after the, the husband had died. And that, of course, is problematic. And the Mishnah had said that it was a Suffolk Ben Tesha, Suffolk Ben Shiva. Had it been a Ben Tesha, then it would have been the child of the initial husband. Had it been a Ben Sheva, then the assumption is that it would have been the child of the new husband of the Yavam. But we are not sure who's who. And we don't know how long the gestational period is. Again, we have a lot of signs that they didn't have. So they did not know how long the gestational period was for this particular child. So, why don't we just go with our general rules and say we should follow what the majority of women do? Most people have uh, a gestational period of nine months. And therefore, we should assume it belongs to the first husband. And if it belongs to the first husband, then there's no evil. <laughs> Fine. Says the Gemara. Well, it doesn't always work that way. Omar Lay, Rav Nachman says back to Rava, He says, women in our neighborhood, they give birth after seven months. That's weird. The, the, your, your, the women there who are giving birth, that, that's not normal. <laughs> the normal amount of time for a gestational uh, pregnancy is, is nine months. So why, that doesn't mean anything. So Omar Lay, really, says Rav Nachman, here's really what's going on. Rov nashim yeldan letisha umiut leshiva. Most women give birth after nine months, and a small percentage of women give birth after seven. Vichol hayoldos letisha, and anyone who has a gestational period of nine months, ubra nikar leshlosha yameha The uh, the pregnancy is noticeable after a third of the days, meaning after three months. The zoan in this case hol velo hukar ubra. Because with this particular child, when the three-month mark hit, we did not see, we did not see any pregnancy. ruba, the rove, the rove has fallen off, and that's why we are besafik because there was a there was a chazaka, there was a rove, and then because you broke the rule of the rove, which is that, which is that you didn't show pregnancy after three months, so therefore we're, we're not sure what you are. We have no idea. Says the Gemara. You have to play off one word that it says here. If it's true that all, not rove, but if it's true that all women who have a nine-month gestational period show pregnancy after about three months, so then that's, that's for sure a seven-month pregnancy, and it definitely belongs to the second husband. So that's why the Gemara has a problem with the language of Rav Nachman, because he had said that all women who have a nine-month gestational period show at three months, and that's not true. Ella says the Gemara, you're absolutely right. Halfway down, Lamed Zayin, Amad Aleph, Ella Ema, it shouldn't say all women of nine months. It should say, Rov Hayoldos Latisha Ubra Nikar that most women... Most women who uh, have a nine-month pregnancy start to show around three months. And this particular person, their rove, Israel Ruba, their rove was ruined. Their rove was undone, and therefore were left with Suffolk. 
And that is how the Gemara concludes this aspect of Suffolk in our Mishnah, that we have a rove. The rove is that most women who have a gestational period of nine months show their pregnancy around three months. And when this person didn't show, when this woman didn't show her pregnancy around the three-month mark, her rove was ruined and now we're just left with Suffolk. Otherwise, it's true. Like, had it been that she was showing at three months, we knew we would have known what the answer is. We would have known that it belongs to the first husband because we don't show it one month. We assume that, that it belongs to the previous husband. But when there is that that reyesa, when there is that negative against a robe, this is a very lamdash sugya. It's like this is fodder for the rishonim. When you have a robe, the robe should work. But something went against the robe. There was a reyesa that undid the robe, and therefore our mishnah remains besafik because she was not showing at the three month mark. End of sugya number one for today. All right. Sugi number two, Tanarabana. In our Mishnah, we had said that the uh, the Yavam or the potential Yavam married this woman and a child was born. This child, Rishon, the first of their children, Roilios Kohen Gadol. We don't, we have no idea who the child belongs to. There's no paternity tests. This child, had, they're not a halal, they're nothing. They can be, they can be a Kohen Gadol. All is well. All is well. Vishani, but if this couple now has another child, well, by virtue of the fact that the first child survived, and we think that it's a very big possibility that that child might have belonged to the to the um, to the initial husband, in which case there was no din of yibum, and it's usher for them to sleep together. And now they had a second child, the sheni mamzer misafik. So the Tanakama of this brisa writes that the second child is a suffik mamzer. Comes along Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov and says, Omer ein mamzer misafik, and then he stops talking. There's no such thing as a mamzer misafik. What Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov did not tell us is what actually is the status of this child. All we know is that according to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is that it's not a mamzer. There's no suffix mamzer. So what is it? Is it a vaday mamzer or is it a vaday not mamzer? We don't know. So says the Gemara, we need to figure out the shita of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. We are going to see a triple layered link between uh, Tanaim here, uh, Tanaim and Amoraim. And link number one is this one, though it's vague, we have to, we have to analyze it, where the Tanakama says that the second child is a Suffolk mamzer. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, ain mamzer mi Suffolk, but we don't understand Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. So my Amar, what is his shita? What, what does it mean that ain mamzer me suffix. So this is a machlokas abaye in rabbi. Here's layer number two. Amar abaye hachi ka'amar. This is really what the uh, ta- the Tanakama and Rabbi Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov are arguing about. Rishon Rabios Kohen Gadol. Everyone agrees. The first child who's born from this uh, this marriage, because of the suffix status of the conception of this child, who is the father. He can be whatever he wants when he grows up. Vesheni, Suffolk, Mamzer, Vaasr, Bemamzeres. And this is an ex- a slight expansion of the Tanakamashita that the second child is a Suffolk Mamzer. And a Suffolk Mamzer is not allowed to marry a Mamzeres. A Mamzeres can only marry a Mamzer proper, not a Suffolk Mamzer. We'll learn about this more in a moment. <laughs> Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, however, what does, how does Abai understand his Shita Omer? Ain't no Suffolk Mamzer. That's not a Suffolk Mamzer. Elavadai Mamzer, Umutr Bemamzeres. So his vague answer, and in the initial presented brisa um, at, at the Tan Rabbanan, where we started this new sugya, his vague answer of Ein Mamzeri Suffolk means to imply that he's a, ma- a Vadai Mamzer. That's a very strong shita to say that he's a Vadai Mamzer, because it's not Vadai that the child belongs to the first husband. If the child belonged to the second husband, to the Yavam, so then that means that there was Yibum and the child shouldn't be a Mamzer. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is holding a firm line that this child is a Mamzer and he can only marry a Mamzeres. That's Shitas Abaye. 
Rava, however, understands this brisa as follows. Rava Amar Hachikamar. This is the proper shot in the brisa. Rishon, Roelios, Kohen Gadol, the Tanakama, as we've seen already, holds that, of course, that this child, no problem, they can even be the Kohen Gadol. The Shani, listen to this language. What does a, a Rava hold that Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov holds? He says, Vesheni mamzer vadai misafik. What does that, what does that mean? What does that mean? The Gemara doesn't like it. But the Gemara says it's a mamzer vadai misafik. It's a mamzer vadai. We treat him as a mamzer vadai, but it's betor suffik. We would have called that a suffix, but the Gemara says it's a mamzer vada mamzeres. And because thing. huge thing, huge thing, you can marry a mamzeres. Yes. What? So his vada is a very strong suffix. His vada was his mamzer vada is a super strong suffix. But look at the next line, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer. What are you talking about? Ain vada mamzer misafik. That's not a thing. You just made that up. That's called a suffix. It's not called mamzer vaday misafik. It's just a suffix. <laughs> so you can't, and you and to marry a mamzeres, that's crazy town. That's like an Isser Doraisa on top of everything else that's going on in this very complex family tree. It's not good. Ella, so Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov changes what the Tanakhama says. He says, Ella suffix mamzer. It's a suffix mamzer. Ve'asr ben mamzeres. So this is the machlokas between Abai and Rabbah as to how to understand the sheet of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. <clears throat> what are they arguing about? Why is it that Abaye felt compelled to, to explain Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov the way he did, that, that really we're talking about a Vadai Mamzer? And why is it that Rava felt that we were talking about a Suffolk Mamzer? So it says the Gemara, Elazar. this is the third layer. So we have the resulting layer of the, the Brisa that we saw, which is hard to understand. We have Abaye and Rava trying to explain the Brisa. And then we have the underpinnings of Abaye and Rava rooted in this machlokas about Rabbi Elazar, not to be confused, although we might be confused, but not to be confused with Rabbi Elazar ben Yaakov. This is Rabbi Elazar. This is not Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. So who is this Rabbi Elazar? It's not. The Mishnah writes about 15 lines or so from the bottom. Rabbi Elazar Omer, Vadan Bevadan Mutter. If you have a Vadai Mamzer and if you have another Vadai Mamzeres, they can marry. The Torah writes elsewhere, it's a Mamzer Vadai Amarachman of Lamamzer Suffolk. A Mamzer can marry a Mamzeres, a Mamzeres can marry a Mamzer, but that's it. Vadan Bisvekan, Bisvekan Bevadan. If one of the two in the couple is a Suffolk, then they're not allowed to marry. Bisvekan Bisvekan also Asr. If you have two Sveikos of two Sveikos Mamzer, they cannot marry each other either. Here are types of people who have a uh, middle-of-the-road status as it relates to mamzerus. Shtuki, ve'asufi, ve'kusi. These are three categories of people. Uh, fascinating Rashi. Rashi is uh, about a third of the way down from the top of the page. Uh, sorry, two, two-thirds of the way down from the top of the page. Look what Rashi says by shtuki. Shekore aviv ve'imo. Shekore aviv. He sees someone. He says, oh, is that my father? Ve'imo mishas koso. And the mother's like, shh, stop talking, stop talking. No, that's not your father. She doesn't know because it's a mamzer. The child's a Suffolk mamzer. We don't know who the father was and maybe the father was related to the brother. We don't know. We don't know. It's a Suffolk mamzer. So that's what a shtuki is. A sufi is its own definition. Rashi says, she has mamish no clue the, the, how she got pregnant. <clears throat> the third case is a kusi Suffolk mamzer is because they don't hold the regular laws of kedushin. Fine. <laughs> Rav holds that the halacha is like Rabbi Lazar. That's part one. Where did Rabbi Huda learn? First by Rav and then by Rabbi Huda. Sorry, first by Rav and then by Shmuel. Look at the next line. Rabbi Huda then switches Batei Medrash. When I was telling Shmuel what I learned by Rav, that we hold like Rabbi Lazar, he flipped out. 
Rabbi respectfully flipped out. Omar Li, Hillel Shona, Hillel taught us. Asari Yuchsen Alumi Babel. There were 10 families that were Miyuchasen that had their own ancestry all ironed out, who came up from Babel back to, to Eretz Yisrael. There were Kohanim and Levim v'Yisraele, and there were also Yisraelim, Chalale, Geirei, Charurei, Mamzerei, Nutikei, Shetuki v'Asufi. All of these types of people who were in not such great positions in regards to their marriageable status. Not good look. Not a good look on the, on the marriage resume. You know, the, the shvigar, she wears patent leather shoes and a robe to the table, and I'm, a, and I'm an Asufi. So it's not a good combo deal, all of these sveikos. What does the shita say in the name of Hillel and the name of Shmuel? They're allowed to marry one another. Now, Rashi highlights they're not allowed to all marry one another, but there's truncations within this grouping to say that some are allowed and some are not allowed. The At Amris and you, Yehuda, you're telling me that you heard from Rav that halacha is Kiribelazar, that we hold like Kiribelazar. So what do we see? We see that Abaye and Rava don't agree on whether or not we hold like Rebbe Lazar. There's two shitas in Rebbe Lazar. Rav holds like Rebbe Lazar, and, Rebbe La- and, uh, and, Shmu- uh, and Shmuel doesn't hold the Rebbe Lazar. Abaye savar la kishmuel. Damar halacha kehillel. Abaye, he is the one who's of the opinion that said that when Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says that ain mamzerus, in this case, he means that it's not a suffix mamzer, but it's a vaday mamzer, the second child born to this couple, where they should not have gotten married and she actually had a baby. We don't know whose baby it is. Is it the initial brother or the second brother? So there Rabbi, Lazar, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says that that child mm-hmm. is a vaday mamzer. That's in line with Shmuel, damar halacha kehillel, umukila Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, aliba dehilchasa. We aligned the shita of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov to align with Hillel. Why? So that we don't ever set up Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov uh, in a position where we don't hold like him, because we always hold like him. We're just going to skip just for a moment. Just turn to the top of the next page and look at Rashi on the top of the page for a moment. We'll come right back. Why is it that we're so strict about Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov, that whatever he says has to align with the Mari Mekomos? Because, says Rashi, the Kaimalan, Mishnas Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov, Kav Vinaki. We do see his name a lot throughout Shas. However, whenever he gives a psak, we always agree with him. And therefore, Abaye had to twist his understanding of our Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov in our case to say that it was a vaday mamzer because he also held like Shmuel, who said that, that there has to be a, that there has to be an alignment. What did Shmuel say? Shmuel said, no, everyone's allowed to marry one another. So therefore, it can't be that, a, that it's a suffix mamzer, which would be aser. It has to be a vaday mamzer, which is mutter, because that's what Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov holds. And on the flip side, three lines from the bottom, Rava, Rava savar lakirav. He says, Allah is like Rebbe Lazar, that we are, um, let's see, what does Rebbe Lazar say? Rebbe Lazar said in the beginning of his Mishnah, Rebbe Lazar said that uh, the Sveikos cannot marry one another. And therefore, we established the Shita of Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov to say that it's a Suffolk Mamzer and it's Asr, just like the Shita of Rav, just like the Shita of Rebbe Lazar. For the same reason, the same motivator, because we always know that Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov is right. So here's really, to summarize, here's what happened. We saw a little bit of a vague Shita of Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov, the second child born to this couple, 
is treated as a, as a, a suffix, as a, as an ain suffix mamzer, but we don't know what that meant. And Abaye translated it to be like Shmuel because, because he agreed with Shmuel in regards to the fact that we allow for a suffix mamzer to marry. So therefore, in order to make Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov right, he established a case of Rabbi Eliezer to be a case of Vada where you're allowed to get married, not a case of suffix where you're not. So that's, and the same thing uh, would also be true for Rava. Amar Abaye on the top line of Lamed Zayin Amid Beis, Muna Aminala. How do I know How did I know that I should go this route and interpret the Brisa in the middle of Lamed Zayin and Aleph this way? Because the Tanya, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer, same person, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, the one who's Kavanaki, Mishnah Sarbalazar Kavanaki, how do we know uh, that uh, we should treat his cases like a Vadai? Because what does he say? A man is with many women. And some of them are having children. But he doesn't know who he had uh, a children with. He, a woman, one woman, one singular woman, with whom a lot of men slept with her. She doesn't know She doesn't know who she's pre- whose child she's pregnant with. If you have a scenario where people are cohabiting and having children without any responsibility whatsoever, you could easily have us. When we were little kids, it was the Maury Povich show. That was like the show every week. That's what we're talking about. Who? What? I'm the youngest of my of my father in the room. It's true. So so yeah. So then this is what Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov was was saying. What did he call them? He called them mamzerim. Is that bevadai? No, it's a suffix. But he called them mamzerim. So Abaye says, I see a raya brura from here. The Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov treats a suffix mamzer like a vadai mamzer. Yes, Dad. So what is the halachic definition of mamzer? Is it different than what we? Oh, we colloquially use the word in ways that probably should not be used. That's for sure. But a mamzer is a child who is born um, of a relationship of Isser out of wedlock. That's kind of a definition that would work. So let's say that a married woman conceives from another man, child's a mamzer. She's married. If, if a child is born who never ever found out who his father was, is he a mamzer? No, if his mother conceived when she wasn't married to another man. If she was a random penuya, let's say a random single, a, a girl in the community who's not married gets pregnant, that's not a mamzer. That's not a mamzer. It's only when she's married to person A and she conceives from person B and then has a child. That's mamzerus. So we, in general, we don't care about who the father is. In general, that's true in regards to halachic status. But in this case, if if she, because he's that man, person beam is allowed to have multiple wives. That right, a man is allowed to have multiple wives. So if I, if, I'm not going to use myself as an example because you probably like your daughter-in-law. No, this is not a good story. <laughs> so so I, I, I'm losing my train of thought. Here. So so what what basically is happening? You have a let's say you have a girl Chana. Okay, Chana is married to Chaim, and then she cheats and she and she sleeps with another man. She sleeps with Yaakov. That child's a mom's here. But had the genders been inverted, it wouldn't be true because a man can marry more than one woman. So if a man is married to Chana and he sleeps with Penina and has, that's not a mamzer because he's allowed to have more than one wife. So that's not mamzer's. So it's quite subtle. There are other case scenarios and there are machlokos about this, but that's a general rule. This is the Gemara, what, what just presented in the top 10 lines, we're about 10 lines down on the Zion of the base, presented this idea that we see from Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, that even though we're not sure that when this man was cohabiting with many women and when this woman was cohabiting with many men, and we don't know who, the lineage, it's, 
it's possible that there will be mamzerus, but he says that they are mamzeru, which is a very sharp language. It's very strong. says the Gemara, that the land is filled with zima. This is a beautiful raya for Abaye. Abaye is showing the reason why I interpreted Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov to say that they're vadai mamzerim is because that's lishitaso. zima. So what will you say? Look at this play on words. The word zima doesn't mean what you think it means. Zumahi. This one, what is it? It's just a question mark. It's a subject. We don't know if this person's a mamzer. Yes, no, maybe. So he says that's what the what the word zima means. And the way that you're interpreting the Pasuk zima doesn't mean vadai. Even according to Belazar ben Yaakov, it just means uh, something. Yes, sir, al the bride continues, Amr Abelazar ben Yaakov, You shouldn't have a wife in one country and a wife in another one. Because we may have a scenario where the children of wife A and the children of wife B will, will find each other and marry, and that will cause for problems. Says the Gemara, Aini, is that true? That you're not allowed to have a spouse in other cities? We've learned this following Gemara before, many moons ago. We learned this in Maseches Yuma. When Rav would go to the city of Dardashir for reasons purely of Kedusha Vitara, he would want to make sure that there was a woman there to whom he could be married for the short visit that he was there. And says the Gemara, it wasn't just him. When he would go to the city of Shech Nitziv, who is interested in marrying me for the day. So that's what the Gemara says. We see that these people do that. So how can you tell me that you're not allowed to have wives in different cities? They had wives in their home cities. And then what happened? Then when they were traveling, then they had new wives in those local cities for a short amount of time. So says the Gemara, shiny Rabbanon It's different. It's different. When you're married to the Gadol Hadors, everybody knows you're married to the Gadol Hador, and everybody knows that if there's a child to be born from the Gadol Hador, they know whose it is. That's like, a, it's, if you're a regular Joe, then that should not happen. Says the Gemara, wait one second, side question. How can you just go into town and marry someone? If you request someone in marriage and she agrees, then you have to wait We assume that due to the, I guess, the emotions involved in, in agreeing to marry, that there is possible that the body could have this this type of blood that, uh, that exits a, a woman's body and makes her tmeya for Shevan Akim. So Rav, these Rabbanim, Rav and Rav Nachman, they just can't walk into town and say, marry me right now. And they need to wait seven days. Once the proposal is done, they have to wait seven days. So the Gemara provides two answers. They sent messengers more than a week in advance, and they said, Rav is coming to town. Who would like to be his wife for the day? The Ibai Seima, another possibility is that these this, they weren't having Tash Mashamita, says the Gemara. Really, it was just a, a marriage that allowed them to have Yichud with one another, but they were not intimate. A tremendous truth if we've ever heard one. For a person who knows that there is availability for intimacy, paspasalo, literally translated as bread in basket, there's an availability to eat food. When you know food is available, then you don't pine for it as much. When you know in theory tashmashimita is available, then you don't pine for it as much. So they were not actually sleeping with these people. It was just a uh, company, but it wasn't uh, tashmashimita. Last piece of this, so again, then we're going to move to the so the challenging part of the day, Tana, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Omer, Adam Ishto You should not marry a woman when your das is to divorce her, Mishum Emar, because the Pasuk reads, You should not trample over your friend and do bad things when they are sitting comfortably. It's not nice. 
uh, it's not appropriate. It might be halachically problematic. One should not be, um, one should not marry a woman with intent to divorce her. Two dots, halfway down, uh, right before the wide lines in the Gemara. We have been discussing the case of our Mishnah. Our Mishnah goes back a couple of blot to the beginning of the parak, parak kacholetz levimto. We have spoken about a case in our Mishnah, which is really what we've been analyzing the whole time of hakonetz levimto. What if a uh, what if Ruvain dies and leaves Rachel, and Shimon marries Rachel while she's pregnant? That's what we've been discussing. So now we're going to take it to the next level. Let's say that this child is born. We'll call the child Chaim. Maybe we should just call the child Suffolk because that's what the Gemara refers to this child as. But we'll call him Chaim the Suffolk. That's going to be his name for today. So says the Gemara, what about Yerusha for this child when there are competing factors? And we're going to see today four or five cases that are quite similar to one another, which is what makes these Gemaras difficult. No one case is difficult. No one case is difficult, but the splitting of hairs and the different iterations generate uh, different responses, which is what makes, it's kind of like Erevin in that way. That's where this comes, this isn't even a complex family tree. This is just, the cases are just so similar. So let's get started. And uh, we're going to pick apart this Gemara to try and understand what happens in a case of Yerusha for the Suffolk. So let's say you have Suffolk, the Yavam. You have Chaim the Suffolk, he's the child, we don't know if he belonged to Reuven or to Shimon, the Yavam, and you have Shimon, and they're trying to separate out the money from Reuven. They're trying to determine, let's say that Reuven had a million dollars, we don't know if Chaim the Suffolk is his child, might be Reuven's child, might be Shimon's child, and Shimon's also in the mix, he wants some of his brother's money as well. So Suffolk, Omar, Chaim the Suffolk is going to argue, Omar, bar misnahu, I'm the child, of Reuven, at least potentially I'm the child of Reuven, I should get all the money, million bucks to me because I'm his oldest and only child. The Yavam Amar Shmuel says, At didiat. you also might be my child. And if that's true, and you, I'm, not, I'm still alive, says Shimon, you can't take my Yerusha, that's mine. What is that called in halacha? Second of the wide lines. This is a big shas concept. Have a mamon hamutal besafik. Mamon hamutal besafik choken. That we have money that's tied up in a way where there's a 50-50 claim. When there is such a claim, so then, Ayin Bava Metziah, the first page, we'll learn that when the time comes. But when there's Mamana Mutal Besafeg, so then the halacha is 50-50, $500,000 goes to Chaim the Suffolk, $500,000 goes to Shimon. Case one. Case two. The Suffolk, Chaim the Suffolk, Uvnei Yavam, Shimon's children, just a slight iteration. Right? But we will see that there are differences between these two cases. They're going to try and take Ruvain's money through Shimon to get that money to them, says the Gemara. Chaim the Suffolk is going to say, Omar, he's going to say, Gavra, this guy referencing himself, just kind of a little tongue in cheek language. Me, Bar Misna, who I'm really Ruvain's son. Who don't touch my money. It's my money. B'nei Yavam Amar, the children of Shimon say, nope, Amre at achinu at, you're my brother, you're one of us. Uminta hu islach bahadan, you get to get a portion, a mana, you get to get a mana, a manta, a minta, like, just like the rest of us. Whatever we get, you get in equal, in equal ratios, but you don't get everything. Says the Gemara, Savu Rabbanan Kamedurab Misharshia Lememar Masnisinhi. This idea that we just saw is reflected in a Mishnah, though inverted, as we'll see in a moment. It's not. There is a case um, that uh, we have in, uh, later in this Masechta. I think it's on Daf Kuf. That's what it says over here. Yeah, Daf Kuf. And says the Gemara, in that particular case, 
hu eno yoresh osam behem yorshenoso. He does not get their inheritance, but they get his inheritance. So if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi, Dibur Hamaschel, Safek Uvnei Yavam, which is about 20 lines down, about a quarter of the way down on the page. So he says, what is the case that we're dealing with? Let's look into that Rashi about four lines down. This case that we just spoke about, where we have the Safek, Chaim the Safek, is arguing with the children of the Yavam of Shimon, as to who gets Ruben's money, how is that similar? So Hainu Masnisin Beperak Nosin Alho Anusa Diktani, Suffik Ben Tisha the Rishon, Suffik Ben Shivala Achron. If this child either belongs to Ruben or Shimon, this is talking about Chaim the Suffik, who lo Yoresh Osan. So he cannot uh, he cannot inherit from the children, the Vadai children of either Ruven or Shimon. Lo ze velo ze. De bnei Rishon midchulei eitzel bnei Acharon. U bnei Acharon eitzel bnei Rishon. Because he can just say, no, you don't belong to my family, you belong to the other family. I don't know, you don't belong to my family, you belong to the other family. He just gets thrown around. But if, if the Suffolk child, if he ends up dying, then his money does get divvied up with the Vadai children of Reuven and Shimon. V'hacha says the Gemara, six lines into the wide lines, V'hacha ibcha. In our case, we actually are able to infer from here the reverse of this. How so? Hasam Amre Lei, they're going to say to him, I see Raya Ushkol. Bring a Raya that you're related to us, and then you can take some. But Hacha, in our case, Amar Lahu, I su Raya Ushkulu. You're the ones who have to bring the Raya. So we learned this idea from that Mishnah, but the case was slightly different, but we were able to infer from it still. But the Gemara says, no, you cannot learn from there. You cannot learn from that Mishnah on Dafkuf. Amar Lahu, Rav Mesharshi, Amidami. These cases are not similar. Hasam, over there in that case, Inhu Vadai Vihu Safik. They, the brothers who are there are children of Ruven who are Vadai Ruven's children. There are children of Shimon who are Vadai Shimon's children. And this one guy, Chaim the Suffolk, we don't know who his father is, the Ihu Suffolk. But Hacha, the case that we're dealing with is when E-D-V-E-D Suffolk, they're both Sveikos. It's a double Suffolk because in the case that we're dealing with, with the Suffolk and the Bnei Yavam, everyone is an unknown. And that's rooted in the fact that we really don't know if Chaim the Suffolk belongs to Reuven or Shimon. Because if he belongs to Reuven, that money has no rights to the other people at all. That wasn't true in the other case. And therefore, the Gemara rejects the comparison. Ella, if you want, if, if you want to create a comparison that's similar to that Mishnah that we learned, the Mishnah about who eno yoresh osam, behem yorshin so, it's lahadamya. It's similar to yet another case, the third case, which is quite similar to the cases we've been learning. Now we're talking about Chaim the Suffolk and the children of Shimon who are not trying to take Ruvain's money, but are trying to take Shimon's money. Bring me a Raya that you're my brother and I'll give you some. And that is the case that is most similar to that mission. And here's the fourth case that we're going to see, which is also still very similar. You have Chaim the Suffolk and the children of Shimon who are trying to take money from Shimon. After they divvied up money from Reuven. Here's the case scenario. Reuven's a millionaire. This child Chaim the Suffolk is born. We don't know if he belongs to Reuven or Shimon. Reuven dies. Shimon takes a portion of that income, of that, of that Yerusha money. Let's say he took $500,000 and then Shimon died. So now what's happening with that $500,000 that was Ruvain's that he gave to Shimon? 
So it says the Gemara, amre, I see You need to prove yourself. Amar Lahu, the child says to them, This is a brilliant line. Ruvain, uh, who might have been the father, and Shimon, who might have been the father, this child, Chaim the Suffolk, here's what he says. Amar Lahu, Chaim the Suffolk says, uh, he says, no matter what, I need to be getting money. If I'm your brother, then then I should get a portion of that 500,000 just like you do. But but if I'm the son of Ruvain, you never should have gotten that money from Ruvain. Says the Gemara, then the portion that Shimon took from Ruvain when he died should never have been given to Shimon because I'm his child. So you can't have it both ways. Either way, this child is going to be getting money. And therefore, he's upset. He wants to know. He's going to go to Bezdin and say, listen, it's not fair. I'm a Suffolk, a Suffolk Ben Ruvain, Suffolk Ben Shimon. I don't know. I, I, nobody knows. No paternity tests. Now, when, my, when Ruvain died, part of that money went to Shimon. And Shimon's kids are grabbing at the money when Shimon died. But maybe that money was never theirs because if really I'm the child of Ruvain, then when Ruvain died, Shimon had no rights to that Yerusha money because I'm his child. That money should go to me. So what happens in Bezdin? Machlokas. 10, 12, 12 lines from the bottom. Rav Abba Omar, uh, Rav Abba Omar, Rav Kamdina. Rav Abba Omar, Rav says, Kamdina. We keep things as they are. In other words, once erroneously, potentially erroneously, the money that belonged to Reuben was given to Shimon Birusha, we never go back. It's almost like a statute of limitations. Once the money changes hands from Ruvain's estate to Shimon's estate as a Yerusha, even if it's wrong, it stays with Shimon. However, of Yermi Omar, Hadardina, no, we reopen that case. We go back and we analyze and we try to figure out, is there a way we can figure out if Chaim the Suffolk belongs to Ruvain or belongs to Shimon? <coughs> and the Gemara says that this machlokas of Kamdina versus Hadardina, once the money right or wrong, was given from Ruvain to Shimon, who were brothers. Once the money was transferred, do we leave it as is, or do we reopen that case? Maybe, says the Gemara, Lemi, that's with Plukta de Admon Verabonon Kemifligate. Maybe this is connected to a machlokes between Admon, who is the name of Atana, and the Rabbanon. What do they argue about? Here's the case. A case out of left field. Ditznan. Mishahalach the Medina Sayam. A person goes out of town, he's on sabbatical. The of the low derech sadev. He comes back home. He used to have a path from the main street to his uh, to his field, but uh, of the low derech sadev, somebody planted over it. Admon Omar yelech bektsara. Admon says shortest distance between uh, two points is A and B. Whatever that distance is, that becomes my path. I'm allowed to reopen the case and say you guys did something wrong. However, vechachamim omrim no yikach lo derech. He has to pay in order to get what he wants. Oh, let him fly through the air. It's too late. The case is closed. You can already see the similarities in the cases. Admon is saying, that's not fair. Reopen the case. Go back in history. Who took his land? The other case is saying, no, 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 no. We're done now. Now you have to pay to reopen the path. This is already very similar, but we're going to detail out the case first uh, before the Gemara specifically makes its comparison. When we analyze this case, we see as follows. According to the Rabbanon, what are you going to say? He said something right. I had a piece of property. I had a road from the main road to my piece of property, a dirt path. That was the only way for me to get there. Somebody took my land. So therefore, I get to make a path on your property because somebody took my property. 
Yeah, logically, you're right. The problem is that I have a piece of property right here. And in my absence, when I was out on sabbatical, my property was fully surrounded by four different owners. Who do I force to give me the property, say the Rabbanon? What am I supposed to do? I can't just force them, says the Gemara. Okay, yeah, I hear that. So the property that I own in the middle is property number one. Properties two, three, four, and five surround my property, and I want my property to have a path to it. So Oddbone said, hey, great, no problem. I, Rabban, and what do you say? Well, that's not fair. Who's the one who has to give up of the land? Ihachi, my time of the Oddbone. Oh, so if the case is really like you're saying now that it's surrounded by four other properties and there is no clear option as to how to make a path to your land, then why was Admon so quick to say, go take over someone's property? The Amarava, the Arba de Asumi Koach Arba, four people purchased land from four people, or the Arba de Asumi Koach Echad, or four people who bought the properties from one. But either way, right now, there are four different owners. In that case, says the Gemara, Kule Almalo Pligi de Matsu Mirchile. In that case, everyone agrees, even, even Admon agrees, that if there are four owners who have property surrounding yours, and over your sabbatical, you lost your path from the road, the dirt path from the road to your land. Even, even Admon agrees that in that case, you're not allowed to take someone's property because property number two is going to say, it's not me, go to property number three. Guy number three is going to say, it's not me, go to guy two, four, and five. It's not me. And it's not me, it's not me. And everyone's going to shirk the responsibility to give him his land back. Keep pligi. Where do Admon and the Chachamim argue? Where one guy purchased four properties and they all happen to surround my property. Admon Savar Mati Darchi Gabahu, because you now own all four properties, by definition, you have taken over the dirt path from the main road to my land because you're the only owner. Who else? You can't push me to anybody else. You own everything. Of course, I hear the guy who has to give me back a strip of land. The Rabbanan Savre, the rabbis argue and say, no, Damar Le. Ishaskis, Shaskis, if you're quiet, we'll work out a deal, the Elo. And if not, here's the threat of that the Rabbanan say. What can the guy who owns the four properties say? I'm not giving up land. I'm just going to transfer the deed back to the initial four owners from whom I bought from. And then I'll throw you from property to property. This one's owned by my friend Chaim. This one's owned by my friend Yankiv. This one's owned by my friend whoever. So says the Gemara, that's the Machlokas. And there won't be anything to do. So this is the end of that story where we see this Machlokas where Admon says you are allowed to force someone to give a little land if all, they have owned, all of the property is owned by one person. Whereas the Rabbanan say not. So says the Gemara, three lines from the Rabbanan, Lema, maybe we should say, Rabbi Abba de Omar Kirabonon. Rabbi Abba, who's of the opinion, if we look up his sheet, there's about 10 lines from the bottom. He says that the, the case is closed. Leave it be. Once Ruvain gave the money to Shimon in death in Yerusha, the posthumous Yerusha, then the conversation's over. We're not reopening the case. We're not giving the money back to Shimon, to Ruvain, and back down to Chaim the Suffolk. <coughs> and maybe the Rav Yirmiya de Omar Ke'admon. Rav Yirmiya, who says, hey, that's not fair. That's not fair that maybe the money really does belong to Chaim the Suffolk and Reuben was his father and the money was given to Shimon in error. So then we should reopen the case. And here too, too bad. Open up, the, my, open up my field. It's my field. You took it. It's not fair. Says the Gemara, a great comparison. Amar lach ab, Rabbi Abba, not true. Ana da'amri afilu ke'admon. 
Rabbi Abba, who by our case says, case closed, we're not going to transfer money back from Shimon to Ruvain. He says, I might even agree with Admon about pushing people to give me a strip of land to get to my property. Because he had a logic to say that to him. You own at least one of those properties. But in the actual case that we're dealing with, there is no such thing. He we don't know how much money to ask for. He's a he, he, the uh, status of Chaim the sub. He doesn't even know what he's asking for. Is he asking for all the money back through Ruvain? Is he asking for a portion along with Edom? We don't know because his request is not specific. So the cases are not comparable. The Revirmia and Revirmia, who was willing to open the case, to reopen the case in order to determine whether or not the money should go back from Shimon's family to Ruvain's family. No, I would even say that in the case of the, of the land, of the strip of land that was consumed over sabbatical, I would even agree with the Rabbanon that you're not allowed to do that. Over there, in the case of the land that grew over the, the, the dirt path that leads to your field, uh, they say, because I could always just give back the deed to the initial four owners. But in our case, there's no way to reverse the case. The logics don't apply. Uh, the full extent of the logic from the case of the stolen land doesn't apply over here. It just, it's not, not enough of a match. The Gemara uh, is going to continue tomorrow. We'll, we'll pick up, we're going to stop here. The Gemara will pick up tomorrow with yet another iteration of this case, Suffolk V'yavam. That's about eight lines down. We'll pick up from there tomorrow. That's Thursday, tomorrow, 8.40. Friday morning in person after the 6.30 Shacharis, after the Siyum, which will be after the 6.30 Shacharis. I approximate around 7.30. Uh, Shabbos and Sunday is 45 minutes before. Cholamoed is at 8.40. That's a mistake in the announcements. It's at 8.40. Um, the only real exception to the rule is the last day of Yontif. I know there are people who want to hear Rabbi Tversky. So instead of doing Mincha on the last day of Yontif, 45 minutes before Mincha, we're going to do 45 minutes before Rabbi Tversky. And that way those who want to attend can attend that as well. We'll what stop right here. Day? Wishing you all a beautiful night. What's that? What time is that day? Don't know. Got to look in the announcements.